Welcome to a podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Our academy is a national organization committed to excellence in orthopedic manual physical therapy practice, education, and research. And we're here to explore a wide range of topics with you through interviews with content experts. Hello, AMP listeners, Antigone Vesey here, and I'm excited to introduce our next guest on the podcast, Dr. Antonio Varela, who today will be talking about his article titled, The Theater of Depression, A Role for Physical Therapy. We had an exceptional conversation, which I cannot wait to share with you, but first, let's hear a little bit more about him. Dr. Varela is currently a professor and researcher at Arkansas College of Health Education on their musculoskeletal team and has been practicing for over 20 years in academic and clinical musculoskeletal rehabilitation. His patient experience includes those enduring and surviving chronic pain, cancer, and war. Dr. Varel's professional focus is in understanding how individuals' mental and physical barriers affect engagement and responses to personal challenges and ultimately sustainable recovery. He is an advocate for physical therapy in primary care and mental health and where the two intersect. The foundation for his experience was paved through residency and fellowship training, and he also has a master's in health science and a PhD in human behavior. Dr. Tony Varela, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Antigone. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I am too. We've had some great preliminary talk about this topic, and I think our audience is really going to enjoy what you have to say. So I really appreciate your time. I just kind of wanted to start by asking you how this topic became important to you. I've always gravitated towards the psychological and philosophical premises that we work under. But when I graduated physical therapy school and I graduated with a bachelor's in physical therapy, we were told that we got a honorary psychology degree just because we were physical therapists. And I think it was under the umbrella of we're coaches, you know, and and health coaches and we coach people along. But then shortly after graduating, I came in touch with the idea that A good physical therapist, particularly one who's dealing with back pain, neck pain, chronic pain, is meant to be psychologically informed. You know, to be honest, I didn't really know what that meant at the time. It seemed like for the first several years of my career, it meant that you could deal with somebody's fear of pain. But I always thought that that was shy of what it really meant and that there was more that we had to deal with um, as far as mind-body connections go. And it wasn't until I really started to either listen to patients completely authentically and understand that they had something to offer me that I didn't understand. And then which was solidified with my PhD, which was in human behavior. And my focus was self-efficacy and specifically with pain self-efficacy. So I wrote this paper, The Theater of Depression, The Role for Physical Therapy, as a expression of what it meant to be a physical therapist who was truly psychologically informed. I love that. I love that this was a culmination of the work and the process that you went through to try to be the best version of yourself for your patient. And we treat the diagnosis, right? But the harder thing to treat is the person. I love the title. And I was wondering, where did you come up with that phrase, the theater of depression? It really stuck out to me. I'm just curious where that came from. It's an interesting title. I I did want it to be a little bit catchy, but I had heard somebody say, and they were talking about the theater of war. 
And it made me realize that in the conceptualization of war, there's multiple layers and there's an entire spectrum to consider. And I thought that that paralleled the idea of mental health, that it truly is a theater, meaning there's a huge spectrum and there's multiple layers. And then it was a play on words, right? The idea that the physical therapist has a role, a very specific role, I think, in mental health and and then even more specifically with depression that is consistently overlooked. And I, I do think that we as physical therapists need to accept that role. And I also think that other healthcare professionals need to accept it as well. They definitely need to utilize us a lot more in the management of mental health concerns. So what role do you think physical therapists should play in this theater? Well, I think the first part of it is we have to accept that it is part of our venue, meaning accepting the idea that there is a mind-body connection and that the experiences we have in life are experienced within the mind. And those emotions, those values, those thought processes, those perceptions are all aspects that we have to take account of. Just accepting that begins the process. The process then leads toward the validation of the patient. So we can meet them where they're at and then start to work with them from there in a direction that's meaningful for them. I love that. I often talk about with my patients this concept of self-doubt, moving to confidence, moving to courageousness, you know, self-doubt being you asking the patient to do something and they go, I don't think I can do that, right? Before even trying. And confidence being like, I think I could try that. And courageousness being, I can do more than that. Just to capitalize on that, I think that process that you just identified and described is consistent with sustainable recovery. Once that person meets the courageousness that's inside of them and they start to mobilize it through different activities that we would have them do in physical therapy, they start to take it on themselves and then they start to challenge their own barriers. That's sustainable recovery. And kind of getting back to the nature of the question, if we're not addressing the mind-body connection, I think we run the risk of not having a sustainable recovery. I think that's brilliant. How does this topic align with AMPT and the APTA? So I'd start with the APTA. What you're seeing now as part of the evolution in physical therapy and with the APTA are position statements that clearly identify that that is part of the role of the physical therapist. Uh, They also put out a position statement recently on screening for and treating anxiety. And that's consistent in Europe as well. The International Organization for Physical Therapy and Mental Health has a very specific position statement on our involvement in mental health. So I think where that aligns with AOMT is we are treating chronic pain patients that we automatically align with a mental health concern or mental health issue. So recognizing it is critical to the overall interactions with the patient. And again, critical to the outcome that we are hoping for with those patients. So is there a world where we could get depression as the referral for PT from a primary care? Oh, absolutely. And I've already experienced that within my practice. I think as I've talked to different practitioners, whether they're physicians or nurse practitioners, 
uh, and they've recognized my willingness to do so, they have certainly recognized that there's a group of patients that require it. In some countries within Europe, the physical therapist is the primary avenue for mental health, as opposed to medications, which seems to be the first line of defense here in the United States. But with that being said, across the board, there's an understanding that physical activity, and I'll even throw mindfulness into that, is very beneficial for the person who is experiencing depression. But often what happens is they just make the recommendation, right? You need to be more active. You need to be mindful without actual follow through. And I think the world in which I would like to see and would like to describe is one where that's recognized and it's part of the immediate referral process when somebody's being diagnosed with depression. Maybe medications are in order. Uh, that's beyond my scope. However, the physical activity we know is beneficial and the physical therapist who's psychologically informed can utilize that with the diagnosis of depression. So I have gotten that, just to be clear, where the, the diagnosis is depression. I can't even begin to tell you how rewarding it has been because you literally see somebody waking up Right? The, the despondent nature in which they present is as if they're, they're shutting themselves down from life. And then you see them waking up and accepting the life that they have and the life that they could have or that they want, uh, and then working towards it. I think it's something that's really overlooked. That's beautiful. I love that. I mean, that's the first thing I thought of when I read this paper was, man, maybe we could actually get a referral for depression. And not that we would be the primary and only person, but in the construct of interdisciplinary care, why wouldn't we be taking on all of the things you just mentioned to help that person with their fear of exercise or fear avoidance of exercise, et cetera? So I love that that's already starting to happen. And I hope that your paper and this conversation can help move that forward. In outpatient orthopedic clinics, a high number of people actually do present with depression and or anxiety or other mental health concerns. So even if we're not getting that referral, we already have an, an audience in front of us that likely has this as part of what's going on with their health and that we could already be starting to implement some of these strategies on. How could we be screening for depression so that we can help capture that? Yeah, that's a, oh, that's a great question. And just to be clear, you know, and I'm going to round these numbers off some, but we could say that 40% as an average of the patients that are being seen in primary care are those with musculoskeletal issues. And then 60% of that 40% are going to have mental health issues on top of the musculoskeletal concerns. The individuals who are emphasizing pain in primary care are going to end up in physical therapy. So just to reiterate your point, yeah, we're already seeing a lot of people with mental health issues. Their expressions, because of the context that they're in, are going to be related more so towards the emphasis of pain. And I'll even say the exaggeration of pain, even though it's not truly exaggerated, it's just where they emphasize or they focus. So they're already in our office. Now it's an issue of recognizing that. And I do think as we've evolved and there's been certain mandates as far as what we're responsible for in the healthcare intake is that we're screening for depression. And those are those two questions that are being asked 
Are you feeling down or blue or despondent? And have you lost interest in the things that normally bring you joy? If those two questions are being endorsed by the patient, then it is our automatic responsibility to delve into it a little bit deeper. And by that, I mean the patient should be receiving the PHQ-9, which then expands on those two questions so that we get a better grasp of the level of depression um, that they're experiencing. And again, it's not our responsibility to diagnose depression, but to recognize the potential that it's there and then appropriately refer either back to the primary care physician or to whoever might have referred them to physical therapy. Understanding those aspects of the individuals helps us meet them where they're at and perhaps gives us the insight to address part of the self-imposed barriers that they are putting upon themselves as part of their recovery. I think once we start to endorse that, it becomes relatively aligned with the overall intention of physical therapy, which is to reestablish the highest level of function. And I think the mental aspect of that allows us to endure the issues or the struggles that then turn around and help facilitate a better mindset as they start to overcome it little by little in their physical world, in their functional world, in their ability world. Does that help clarify it? Yeah, I love that answer. I mean, it's very clear that you've done this work, not only professionally, but also personally for yourself, just to have the vision and the empathy and almost the metacognition to step outside that subjective interview to think about not only what the patient's saying, but why and where they might be saying it from. So I'm just curious, you know, what strategies have worked for you personally? Do you have any resources or books or things that have motivated you on this topic that physical therapists who are looking to improve themselves might utilize? I think I could sum all of that up real quickly by just saying, we have to walk the walk. We all struggle with something. We all want to be better versions of ourselves. And we all experience barriers to that goal that we have or that aspiration that we have. We're all similar in that way. And I think the physical therapist who is recognizing that within themselves is recognizing the difficulty in overcoming the barriers that often are self-imposed. Certainly, there are external barriers that have to be recognized. And I do talk about that in the paper. With that being said, the idea of the internal work that we do ourselves isn't much different than the physicality that we want to demonstrate to the patient. We want to be an ideal physical therapist by being healthy, being fit, being active. It's the same thing mentally. Recognizing that within somebody else then goes a long way to disengage from the power differential that might exist between a professional and a client. I do recognize that that exists and it has to be recognized as part of the empowerment process because the individual who's before you is asking for help in some manner, which means there's a certain level of powerlessness that they are experiencing. And it's not that we have the power and are transitioning it to them, is that we may recognize the potential that that individual has that they don't recognize within themselves. And we do that through understanding the challenges that we face with our own lives. That automatically, to me, levels the playing field. And I think addressing these issues little by little, and when I say issues, I mean 
maybe it's their thought processes. You know, maybe it's the issue of emotion regulation. Maybe it's the issue of self-efficacy or the combination of those. Maybe it's an issue of anger and having the person be able to express that without judgment, without interference and having them get that off their chest. And then we can move past it. So the idea is to help people face where they're at directly so that they can overcome it. There aren't a lot of resources that I can think of off the top of my head. However, there are a couple of books that have been very meaningful to me that have helped me formulate some of my thought processes. There's one called Saving Normal, which just talks about the nature of the DSM-5 and how it's granulated all of the psychological ailments to the idea of diagnosing. And in many cases, they're just normal experiences. And I think that book helped clarify the idea of what is really considered normal versus what is considered pathological. And then there was another book, How Emotions Are Made. Um, That's Lisa Felbin Barrett. That book was really eye-opening into the mental processes of emotions, which really helped me to understand how thought processes and certain actions and certain social reinforcements reinforce the emotions that we experience. There's another resource too, that's Joe Tada and his work in mental health and some of his Con Ed courses. I mean, I was trained in it as part of my PhD, but he does a phenomenal job of bringing it home to the physical therapist. And that's with acceptance and commitment therapy. And that has really helped tremendously to even better serve patients. I think that's a great answer. And if I could oversimplify it in an analogy that I think might be salient to a lot of people is it's kind of like parenting, right? I'm the mother of an almost two-year-old and she doesn't do what I say she should do. She does what I do. You're not saying that we're going to be the provider improving all of these things. Maybe that is another professional with cognitive behavioral therapy, et cetera. But by living that, by being someone that's active and happy and healthy through exercise, being confident through exercise and having good self-esteem and body image, et cetera, through exercise, we're emulating that type of goal, which is going to rub off on other people as well. Yeah. Just to reiterate one particular aspect, there's work that's involved. Right. So you're doing the work and your uh, daughter sees that the patient can see the work that we've done based on our interactions with them and our responses to them. You know, that isn't anything that can be negotiated. That's just the way that it has to be done. We have to accept that life has its ups and downs, that it has its challenges, and that through meeting those really gives us the, I'll say the wherewithal to endure life and still have it present with a sense of meaning, which I think also transpires into fully enjoying those times that everything is going well for us and recognizing the fragility of it all. You know, inherently, we as human beings are both fragile and strong all at the same time. And sometimes and we've all had to do it, we, we have to ask for help. We're in a very unique position as physical therapists 
to be offering that shoulder to help carry part of the responsibility for the individual at first, but then handing it off to them so that they can take it on themselves. And I think just the recognition of that automatically helps them to take on the responsibility over time. Very well said. One thing I was reflecting on as you were talking was in my practice, we make our own exercise videos. And the reason we've done that was because we wanted to be consistent amongst our staff. But what I'm thinking about now as you're talking about this is we're demonstrating to our patients that we can do it and it can be done, right? Versus giving them an ask that they don't see us doing. And it makes that ask much more authentic to say, hey, I'm not asking you to do something that I personally can't do, which might create buy-in. And I've done the work to be able to get to the point to perform this exercise. And now that's the process you're going to take. Such an interesting way to think about some of the systems that you might be deploying to your patients, how you might even be giving them a home program, how you might be communicating the type of exercise and demonstrating it. All of that is tying into some of the concepts that you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we have to walk the walk. And I think part of it for myself is mindfulness and mindfulness training. I don't think anybody ever stops to just sit and be still with themselves. And I think as far as the physicality goes, it's very difficult to sit still in a good posture and not react to pain, itching, discomfort, or just the need to move. And I think that has been very enlightening to individuals. And I wish more physical therapists would practice mindfulness and teach that to their patient. And I do think that that helps to process emotions, uh, helps to process emotion regulation, and it helps to process a certain level of mental control, which, is, by the way, is just as hard as exercise. Definitely. So let's say we get that patient that has descriptive, nonspecific lower back pain, and we're starting to see some of these things that you've just talked about, you know, low self-esteem, maybe even catastrophizing. What other strategies besides mindfulness might you use with these types of patients? When there are mental health issues, the focus is going to be on pain and or some level of disability. Somebody who has more significant or severe depression will certainly have ruminating thoughts of shame and guilt that will come out as you talk to them. However, because of the context, they're going to be reflecting the pain and disability. So I do think that it's important to simply validate their position and their statements and their emotions and their descriptions at that point. In that process of validating them, you start to hear things that are going to be consistent with anxiety, distress, personal challenges, personal loss. Recognizing those statements opens the door to a little bit more of a conversation for clarity. And then that helps to understand where they are truly at and how they see themselves and where they see themselves going. So I think that's the first thing that needs to be done. The one thing that I really haven't mentioned um, or haven't delved into is the common thread between chronic pain and depression, which also feeds into substance abuse. It's issues with self-efficacy and emotion regulation. I would follow through with a self-efficacy questionnaire 
and an emotion regulation, particularly if I'm picking up on issues of avoidance types of strategies that they've used to help manage their situation overall. You have to establish self-efficacy before empowerment occurs. So I'll use the physical limitations that they present with as the mechanisms to help them establish self-efficacy. Start setting goals that are specific to the things that they value and then setting them in such a way that they're smaller goals that take them outside of their comfort zone and challenge their reasoning for their limitations or their reasoning for their barriers. Once they start to see that their reasoning has been flawed, either through the thoughts that they had or through the limitations that they imposed on themselves, they start to recognize that they have more ability than they give themselves credit for. And then they start doing a little bit more. At the end of the day, what they'll remember are the things that took them outside of their comfort zone, particularly when they were successful outside of that comfort zone. And I think that's where the skill of a physical therapist really comes into play. How do you push them to the limit and not throw them over the edge? Those individuals will take off, particularly when it's done just right, which is always a challenge. The other aspect of that is to have them kind of granulate the experiences that they're going through when they're exercising. I will have them describe, well, what does that feel like? And they'll, you know, they'll let me know it's, I can feel the certain movement pattern, or I can feel the stretch, or I can feel the discomfort. And it gives them a sense of control. And I think that control helps to establish the regulatory mechanisms that I was alluding to just a moment ago. You've used the word granulated a few times. Can you describe exactly what you mean by that and how we as physical therapists can use that strategy with our patients? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And it's an important one. If somebody does have pain and they're presenting in the clinic, right, the context is a physical therapy clinic, the focus is their pain. A lot of times that's the only thing that they can ever express. It's painful. The idea of emotion regulation now comes into play because the only emotion that they are expressing is pain. So the idea of granulation is to have them maybe focus in on the pain. Again, they're facing it directly and then have them start to describe that. Can they tell me where the edges of that pain are? And can they describe the pain in other words other than pain? And that's where you start to granulate and they'll start to say, well, it's more of a throbbing sensation. And at the edges, it's more of an itching sensation. And then it becomes something else. Yeah, it's more of a discomfort now that I focus in on it. And they're better able to communicate that, which is part of the challenge, right? Many a times they're trying to communicate what, they, what they're feeling and what's going on inside of them. And they feel like people aren't listening. And in many cases, unfortunately, that's the case with part of the healthcare system and the way that we're mandated with computers and EMRs and all that stuff. But in many cases, it's also that they don't have the vocabulary to say it in another way. And that's part of the challenge with self-efficacy and emotion regulation, right? Nobody's really ever helped them work through the process. So again, the idea is that we're, we're taking the focus on pain and trying to get them to articulate it in a different way 
that might be more reflective of what is actually going on inside of them at the time. Now, in this case, it was specific to pain. In some cases, it can be specific to emotions. I mentioned anger a little bit ago. Sometimes I'll ask them what makes them angry. And a really good example that pops into my head is the description of betrayal from the healthcare system. We'll get patients as a last resort. And it almost feels like the patient has been dismissed throughout the healthcare system and nobody knows what to do with them. So they end up in physical therapy. And at that point, they're pretty angry about the whole situation. They feel like they haven't been listened to or they haven't been heard. They've been dismissed from one professional to the next. And then they end up in our clinic with a sense of powerlessness, perhaps hopelessness, that makes them very angry. And in that process of trying to understand their anger and have them relieve themselves of it, they start to express it. And betrayal is one. Like that's a, that's a, a word I've heard a couple of times from individuals. One thing that a couple of patients have told me is a sense of that they weren't worth it. Right? So you had mentioned like self-esteem. They felt like physicians didn't make time for them and that they weren't worth the time that they were paying for. I can definitely relate to that story and that sentiment. That does happen, right? I think a lot of times it is the medical system designed to rule out a lot more of the negative pathologies. And then it is a funnel to physical therapy as, okay, well, we've ruled out all of these bad things, so go to physical therapy. But in that process, the patient has a lot of emotional attachment to the medical system. Like, do I have cancer? Do I have these other things, right? And then, oh, I only have this thing, but the thing that I only have is the thing that's limiting me from my joy. And, and so it does feel very dismissive of their pain and being heard. Even though the system is there to protect them, at the end of the day, the experience that the patient is having is to be dismissed in some fashion. Tony, this has been an amazing conversation. I could talk with you all day about this, and I think it's so important for our listeners to hear and for us as physical therapy to start to own our role in depression and mental health disorders. I'll end with just one last question of, is there any other research you're doing on this topic, or is this paper your life's work? <laughs> I'm really hoping that this paper is a foundational piece for my life's work. I do feel like I'm finally catching my stride with it. And perhaps it just comes down to the idea that I have finally landed on what I think is an important definition for the psychologically informed physical therapist. But I'm hoping to take a, a portion of this work and contribute further to the bodies of work. I, I'm doing some research now where I'm incorporating exercise, mindfulness, and guided reflection uh, for people who have chronic pain and or depression. Uh, so far to date, everybody who's been in the study has struggled with both of those. And I'm monitoring their self-efficacy and emotion regulation uh, on top of a bunch of functional factors that may change over the course of eight weeks. And so far it's promising. Um, I, I have done a qualitative study on the first 12 people that went through it and got their interviews and their experiences. So that's in the process of being written up. I'm also about to send out a invitation for physical therapists across the states to inquire about their knowledge and utilization of mindfulness 
So it'd be interesting to see how physical therapists or what they think and believe and, and how they utilize that. I do think there's more research that needs to be done with the idea of specifically interacting and treating people with depression. Yeah, I don't know if that's up to me or for bigger institutions. We'll see. So based on that answer, we really have to end on what does it mean to you to be the psychologically informed physical therapist? I do think that's an important part of the paper. And you had mentioned my life's work. I think I don't know if it's my life's work, but it's my it's been my understanding now after 20 years of looking into it. The psychologically informed physical therapist practices with the appraisal of the patient's barriers to health restoration and improvement that reflect their underlying values, beliefs, perceptions, and expectations that are expressed by the patient's psychological context and constructs, their emotional states and traits, their behavioral patterns and actions, and then their social reinforcements. That is a great definition that I hope catches fire and encourages people to live up to that standard in our profession. I really appreciate the conversation that we had beforehand. You're the psychologically informed interviewer because you had validated the concern I have when speaking and knowing that it's going out to everybody, uh, which is always a little bit intimidating. So you've, you've made it a, a great conversation and I've appreciated it. Thank you again, Tony, so much for your time. Well, thank you, Antigone. It's been a pleasure. This has been a production of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. You can learn more about the Academy by visiting our website at aaompt.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for our acronym, AAOMPT. The views and opinions expressed on the AOMPT podcast are those of the interviewers and interviewees and do not represent the official position of AOMPT. The information presented should not be used as personal health care or clinical practice advice. If you need to find an expert orthopedic physical therapist near you, then check out the Find a Fellow feature under the Public Resources tab at www.aaompt.org, which you can find in the show notes.